It's the morning show. Dan Riccio and Randy Janda. Hope you got your spros out. It's 8.03. Final hour of the program. The morning show. And Halford and Bruff in the morning. Brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Let's bring in our next guest. With the fourth period, it is David Pinota. What's happening? What's going on, boys? How we doing? Uh, we're doing all right. Uh, trying to figure out if uh, the NHL is going to give us some news uh, during the uh, Black Hole Sports Week. <laughs> we uh, we did everything uh, we possibly could on Nils Hoaglander's new contract with the Vancouver Canucks yesterday. So we're looking we're looking for something else. Uh, well, Canucks related or just in general? <laughs> like something, anything, Dave, anything. <laughs> well, okay. So the the Debrinkat deal gets done, and and now he's uh, he's a Detroit Red Wing, but. You know, now that we've sort of, you know, seen the dust settle on that one, it's kind of like, what's happening next? Uh, do the Jets move off some of their guys? Uh, what's happening with Craig Conroy and his unrestricted free agents that probably don't want to re-sign in Calgary? And of course, the Eric Carlson situation still looms over the National Hockey League. Uh, do you see some activity happening over the course of these uh, dog days of summer? Yeah. Well, you know what, guys, I, I'm I'm keeping close tabs on Eric Carlson um, and the Carolina Hurricanes. They're still very much in this. Pittsburgh's still there as well, but Carolina has been trying to make this happen. And, and there's some belief within that organization, according to some of the people that I've talked to, that they can they can pull this off if if they press the right buttons. And you know, right now, the, the Tony D'Angelo deal with Philadelphia is still expected to happen. Um, so they're going to add him to the roster at some point relatively soon. Once they finalize that trade or that trade becomes official, Philly's going to retain 50% of that uh, remaining contract. But in addition to that, with the Eric Carlson situation, they're also talking to a number of teams, including the Nashville Predators, about Brett Pesci. And he's got one year left on his contract. There, haven't been, uh, there hasn't been any progress with respect to a contract extension uh, he wants some term to his deal. I think Nashville, or excuse me, Carolina's not going on uh, beyond four years, so they've got to figure that out. But the discussion there is Nashville would like to get Pesci, and whatever may end up going back the other way will be coupled with the overall package that the Hurricanes have piece together to send to San Jose for Eric Carlson. And that's kind of the determining factor right now. It sounds like San Jose will have holding firm on how much they want to retain three to 4 million, probably closer to the three at this point. Um, but that brings in Eric Carlson at around eight and a half million bucks a season, AAV wise. Plus you got to pay for that. So we'll, we'll, there, there've been discussions of a first round pick from Nashville. Dante Fabro's name has also popped up. Coincidentally, he's somebody that San Jose tried to get ahead of the trade deadline during the season. So the, you connect all the dots. A lot of it makes sense. It's just a matter of them kind of, you know, finalizing things and, trying to push the envelope a little bit, but I'm definitely keeping tabs there because it sounds like this is going to get done at some point um, this summer in terms of San Jose moving on from Eric Carlson. All right, that's great intel from you, uh, Dave, on that situation. Uh, the question I have with Carolina when it comes to Eric Carlson is... Why? Well, yeah, but <laughs> you, you look at the San Jose well, experiment, right, where it was... Burns and Carlson together were not very good. They they go separate ways, and they're yeah. both you know one's a Norris winner, and Burns should have maybe was a fringe contender for that award. Why together again? 
well, two two reasons. One, Eric Carlson wants to win, and the the Carolina Hurricanes want to win. Uh, my understanding is, look, he's got a full no movement clause, and right either before or on July one, he provided a list of teams he would waive that to officially, and Carolina's on that list. He'll go there. He, he wants. He's he's open to it. He's got four years left on his contract. He's open to it, and he feels that it, Carolina is one of the teams that gives him the best opportunity. Uh, to win. And I mean, they clearly feel similarly because they've been trying to push this and, and make this happen. Um, look, it, it's going to come down to how, you know, Roddy Brindamore's system fits everybody in. Um, do, you know, if this happens, well, whether he's there or, or Pittsburgh, I mean, I, I don't anticipate him cracking the hundred point barrier again, but because, you know, his responsibilities will be a little bit different in either scenario. But this is still a you know, point-of-game type of defenseman, regardless of, of which team he ends up on. And you know, if you're competing for a Stanley Cup, it's a pretty good asset to have. Um, you know, as I said, he, he's open to it. He wants it to happen. He's waiting, just sitting by, waiting now for, for this kind of situation to go down. And it, it, it comes down to what Mike Greer can pull off out of either the Canes or the Pens. Pittsburgh will have to free up money as well. Um, they've been trying to move Jeff Petrie for a little bit. Carolina seems to be a little bit further along in this process. So we spoke to Brendan Dillon earlier this morning uh, of, of the Winnipeg Jets, a uh, local guy here in Vancouver, and you know he talked about some of the uncertainty uh, even with him. You know He's an unrestricted free agent as well, and uh, I guess we're all trying to figure out what is Kevin Sheveldayoff up to now that he made the big trade for Pierre-Luc Dubois, got – three players that could help the Jets this season. Is he trying to convince Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck to stay, or is that a situation that's going to play out over time? Well, look, uh, when, when Hellebuck's camp kind of leaked the contract demands that he'd be looking for on his next deal in, in that, um, you know, Vasilevsky range, nine, nine and a quarter million, it caught a lot of teams off guard. They didn't think he was going to be going that high. So a lot of guys pumped the brakes and said, okay, well, we'll, we'll look at our options and, and we'll circle back if the time comes. And, and that, from my understanding, um, rubbed Kevin Sheveldayoff and his staff the wrong way because it really hindered their ability to make some type of move here. And, and clearly, you know, we're, we're in July and nothing's happened yet. Uh, there's not – you know, the options right now are limited, and this might be a scenario where, you know, he's going to have to wait it out, and the Jets are going to have to wait this one out. It's not ideal for, from Winnipeg's perspective, but with respect to the goaltender, that might be where they're at, unless, you know, New Jersey or Buffalo, something falls into their lap, and all of a sudden the Jets say, okay, we'll take less than what we're asking for. Um, you know, he it, it's trending in the direction of him starting the season with, with Winnipeg. Now, again, that, I mean, as we know, this stuff can change in, in a heartbeat. But as of now, that's kind of the scenario. With respect to Mark Shifley, uh, you know, they, they'd certainly like to keep him. But it sounds like, you know, even with, with Hellebuck, the writing is kind of on the wall there. But there are more options that are going to be presented to them with respect to Shifley because of, you know, teams that are looking to shore up that center position. And one team that's been checking in and out of the, of the situation, the Boston Bruins, they're waiting still, even though they've said they, they're going to move forward with the idea and, and the notion that both Krejci and Bergeron won't be back, they're not rushing to make an acquisition at the center position just yet, but they have checked in on Shifley. 
And if one or both of those guys really do hang up their skates um, and, and, and aren't on that roster next season, that, that seems to be a primary option for them. And Brandon Carlo's name has been popping up quite a bit with respect to that uh, possibility. All right. The other team that uh, Dan mentioned a little bit earlier on was the Calgary Flames. Is there any movement on the resolution of Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm? It seems like, you know, Craig Conroy uh, is probably going to have to make these moves, but at the same time, this team is not keen on rebuilding. Uh, what's the latest well, there? Well, they're, they're trying everything and have been trying everything and anything to get Lindholm locked in. Um, it, I mean, hasn't worked yet, but they're, they're still trying to figure that out. Um, you know, Hannafin, he's not going to be back next uh, or when his contract expires. So whether he plays the season out or they find a new home, I mean, he may even be kind of an option here for either Pittsburgh or, or, or Carolina. I get the sense more Pittsburgh, that if they lose out on Eric Carlson, they might circle back and try to get Noah Hannafin um, out of, out of, you know, look, Nikita Zadorov's name has been out there. Chris Tanev's name has been out there. Dan Vladar uh, has, has been out there as well. He's got a little more control the goalie out there um there just there haven't been any significant there hasn't been any significant progress with respect to those those trade discussions to this point they, they've gotten calgary i know has a few offers or had a few offers on the table um for dan vladar nothing that blew them out of the water they're holding firm for now Zadorov, very similar situation couple offers on the table nothing that's made them go okay we really need to look at this and they've kind of held him back as well I mean, you know, we know Backlund and Hannafin are two guys that have said, um, you know, they, they want that change. Toffoli was the other. He ended up moving to New Jersey. Zadorov's in that same boat. One year left on his deal. Um, my understanding is he's relayed the message that he's not interested in an extension to this point. Uh, but again, the offers have to be good enough for, for them to make those types of considerations. And if they're not, they'll roll with this group. They'll try to compete for a playoff spot again and, and, see if maybe if they do well maybe that changes somebody's mind so we're kind of looking at the uh winger market too after uh the debrinkat deal gets done and you know tarasenko is still out there and available in, in free agency changed agents it's kind of a curiosity as to to what exactly is going on there but you know i know uh the folks in toronto are, are curious as to what's going to happen with william nylander as well you know i'd look at the 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 Timo Meyer deal, he seemingly comes in a little bit lower than maybe market value or expectation would say with New Jersey. And now Debrinkat signs this deal that keeps him under eight million per season in Detroit. Now, does that sort of set where William Nylander's value is as well as a free agent to be in a year's time? Yeah, it it, it helped Toronto's case a little bit more that that Debrinkat deal. Um more so than more so than than Nylander's camp. Um, look, he's he wants full term. He wants you know close to ten million. Uh, I, I don't see a scenario right now, anyway, where the Leafs you know bite at that. You know they came back at eight and a half initially. Uh, this this will fall in the nine range at some point. I, I can't imagine that the Leafs want this to drag on close to camp or you know the start of the season with, with without you know, him locked into an extension. I mean, look, Austin Matthews will get there. It'll be a three or five year extension. It's not going beyond five years, depending on the term. It'll be anywhere from 13 to 14 million. He'll be the highest paid player in the league. AAV wise, all of that. I think everybody understands the ballpark range there, but the focal point has to be and needs to be Willie Nylander. And, you know, they'll take a little bit of a pause now and then try to reconvene and try to make that happen. 
Uh, you know, they're, they're lucky. They don't have to deal with cap situations for both of those guys this coming season. Um, but I mean, they still have some cap maneuvering to do uh, over these, these next couple of months. But with respect to Nylander, I, I, this is something that's probably going to drag a little um, getting closer to camp. And right now I don't see a scenario where Austin Matthews' deal gets done before Nylander's um, Actually, I don't. If that happens, I don't think that's good news for the Leafs. I, I think you want to focus on Nylander. You, you know what you're going to get in in Matthews, in terms of his deal. Try to get Nylander done. But uh, you know, as you guys mentioned and as we just talked about, the deal, especially for the Brinkett, certainly helps Toronto's case or at least their argument. But if that happens, maybe it results in a lower term, which is not something that I mean. Both of these sides want to go the max eight. We'll see how that kind of unfolds. Well, continuing on the Debrinkat deal, apparently the Islanders were interested. Their package centered around Jean-Gabriel Pajot, Oliver Wallstrom, and and probably a first-round pick. Uh, didn't get the deal done, but do you think Lou Lamorello is still in the market to address the winger spot in his top six? Yeah, um, on that, it wasn't a first-round pick. Yep. It was a second-round pick. Hmm. Um, they were not willing to move a first, but they thought that Wallstrom would offset that first in terms of value, um, and, and ultimately didn't get didn't get done. Ottawa went the other direction. Personally, I think the package was better from the Islanders side, but I mean, whatever, I'm not their GM. So uh, what do I care? Not yet. But, uh, <laughs> no, we'll see. Yeah. That, that position may open um, from the Islanders side. Yeah. They're, they're still looking and, and Lou Lamorello usually holds, th- I mean, almost always holds things as close to the vest as possible. Uh, but after he made his signings of Sorokin and, Engvall and everybody else he said that if, if we're making any impact moves here it's going to be through hockey trades I mean that he never says stuff like that so the fact that he comes out and says that um, you know they tried for Debrinket. they're looking around to see how they can add somebody else they want to score there was some talk that they poked around the Jets about Kyle Connor that didn't really get too far um, but it kind of goes to show you the type of player they're looking for. They want an offensive weapon. They've been lacking that for a while, especially on the wing. They, they need that. I mean, yes, they brought in Horvat, and, and yeah, they have Barzell, but they, they're looking for another piece to add in their top six, and they're going to have to get a little creative in pulling it off, um, not just from an asset perspective, but also cap-wise. They have a little bit of flexibility because it sounds like Cal Clutterbuck um, might not be able to play this coming season might be some LTIR usage there to give them a little bit of flexibility, uh, but they're clearly looking for offense. And if they could free things up, I mean, Tarasenko was somebody that they pursued from a deadline side of things. Um, and last summer, that could be an option now again for them. He's got a ton of interest. Uh, I, I spoke to Pat Brisson, his agent. He said it's almost overwhelming the amount of interest they've received. Um, so they're taking things slow. They don't want to rush into anything. Going back to Carolina, by the way, they thought they had a deal. They thought so. they had something locked in. They even had a press release ready to go. And the money was, what I was told, significantly lower than what we would have expected. And that resulted in the agent change. But we'll see kind of where this goes. This could be an option for the Isles if they can free up some extra cash. So uh, before we let you go, um, Canucks did some work during free agency, but you know, my sense is they'd still like to open up some cap space as they've now spent it all yet again. So we're back into this conversation, but could you see the Canucks being busy or do you think their roster is mostly set? Well, 
they tried. They yeah. tried a draft. I mean, pretty much everybody was available. Um, they, they just they weren't able to pull it off. I mean, if something changes and uh, you know the, the the market suddenly opens up for a guy like Connor Garland, they'd they'd like to do it. You know, Tyler Myers' bonus. I, I, most bonuses are paid out on July one. I think he's got a five million dollar bonus. Yeah, I think his is September first. Um, so that might be one of the reasons why that has has not progressed. Pay out the bonus and then figure out the trade scenario afterwards. That could be something we see closer to camp if that is the case. I, I haven't confirmed that 100%, but I, I'm pretty sure his bonus is paid out September 1. So that could be something we see closer to camp because you're right. I mean, they'd like to free up the extra space. It's just in this climate, ugh, it's, it's <laughs> well, we, as we know, as yeah. we've seen, it's really hard to do. I, I can't see a ton of owners uh, just uh, falling over themselves to pay Connor Garland $17 million in real cash over the next three years so um tough uh, tough spot for the vancouver yeah. canucks uh pags uh, always appreciate the time thank you you got it enjoy the spros yes uh spros for for breakfast for mid breakfast and late breakfast <laughs> all the <laughs> when time you're waking up this early in the morning all the time i've only had one though we'll see how many halbro listeners i'm pissing off by saying spro at least 14 times in the morning yeah the texts are gonna come in i give it 30 <laughs> seconds some don't like Puckdoku. Some don't like uh, the word Spro. But uh, I don't know. Does Dud Soda wake you up in the morning? Uh, yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. Why? Why not? I don't know if that your dentist would say that's a good thing to have <laughs> acid that early in the morning, but on your teeth. But Dud Soda is great anytime. Okay. I'm gonna have one today. Actually, I like the You've hat. Inspired by the way. me. Uh, thank you. Yeah. You can't really see us right now, but no. I'm wearing one of our Dudsorda hats. Dudsorda.ca is where you can go check them out. Free plug. Uh, Thanks, Reach. Yeah, it's it's a nice hat. So um, And also light in color for the summer, so you know it doesn't attract the sun too much to your head. Yeah, it's out of your color scheme. You're very, like... Black, gray, Yeah, for a guy gray. that criticizes the rain and, like... Navy blue. November and October, you're all down. You, yes. You're kind of like the walking embodiment of November. <laughs> <laughs> just don't, just gray don't bring a lot of pop to my color no, schemes man. in my uh you get you in one of these hats in my wardrobe uh all right what we learned is coming up so uh get your texts in for that i see a couple already 650 650 on the dunbar lumber text message inbox there is uh still uh a lot of action around the league and you heard dave pinota there talk about Eric Carlson to the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, I know uh, I took a lot of flack for you know my I wouldn't say criticisms of Carlson, but I wasn't exactly on the train to give him the Norris this year, despite all of the points that he scored. One of the things I wonder about Carlson is how it translates to a more competitive team. Like, yeah, the San Jose Sharks got the best out of Eric Carlson this year, but it was also with the understanding of we know results don't really matter and you can just go out there and do your thing, score as many points as possible. And it almost felt like after the heart, the hot start that he hot had, blah, blah, you could tell I'm tired. It's not live, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> you could tell after the hot start that he had, it was... Almost like it, it became Russell Westbrook triple-double records of hockey. Like, let's get this guy to 100 points. Let's do everything we can to get this guy to 100 points by the end of the year. 
Now, it's not as easy as, you know, like, it's one thing to say it. It's an actual other thing to do it. I get all that. But I just wonder how Eric Carlson's game in this late stage of his career translates to a more competitive team, especially one like Carolina that skews so much towards we're protecting our own before we are going out there and trying to score. And the way that San Jose played, like, it was freewheeling. They didn't have much offense. They needed him to essentially be that fourth forward where he was activating a lot. He was in the play. Heck of a passer. When you they weren't up, scoring without him. No, when you put up 74 even strength points, yeah. you know, you're a damn good player. That was, what, fourth in the league behind McDavid, Pasternak, and, and McKinnon? Carolina activates their defense a lot too, but it's also on the uh, – well, on the <laughs> – it's on the idea that there's going to be cover for that defenseman sure. on the way back. You have to play an honest game yeah. when you're playing for Rod Brindamore. Mm-hmm. If you're activating, you got to make sure that – you know, the team game is solid. And Eric Carlson, I don't get that fit in Carolina. Like, legitimately, I don't get it. He's a damn good player. Mm. But you got more out of Brent Burns this year in Carolina. And we saw what happened in San Jose. And part of that could be the team was different, older team. Uh, they were headed in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. It's not Rod Brindamore. It's not the Carolina Hurricanes. The situation in Carolina is better, so therefore Carlson will be better. Have we seen that, though? Yeah, if he's, I like Eric Carlson on a team when he's the guy. Can he be one of the guys in Carolina? Because they don't have a superstar there. They don't play that style of game. Even what they embody on the ice is done very, very differently. It's the team game. We haven't seen that happen. Even in Ottawa, like he was the guy in Ottawa. Yeah, right. He made it happen. A lot of puck on his stick, but I'm not necessarily sure that that translates in Carolina. Well, he's not going to play as many minutes. You know, it's not going to. He's not going to be the be all and end all. Do they try to fit him and Burns on the power play together again? Like it didn't work in San Jose. Why would it work in Carolina? There's just so many questions I have about this whole Carlson to Carolina connection, and also like these different puzzle pieces that they want to move. Like we're going to bring in Carlson, move out Pesce, and what? Also get D'Angelo. Like there's just. A lot of moving parts there for Carolina should they be able to to make it work. Uh, keep those what we learns coming in. 650-650 got a question about Tyler Myers as well, which we'll answer after the break. It's the morning show on Sportsnet 650. <laughs> Final segment of the morning show. It's Dan Richo and Randy Janda. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Um, got to play golf with Bruff yesterday, actually. I had to keep telling him, uh, you can't drive this golf cart as if it's your Acura. It doesn't take turns the same way, you know. Was he, like, speeding? You're gonna, what you're... was going on here? Was it, like, high-speed corners? What you was know, going on? he's, like, trying to drift on the cart path and stuff. I'm like, you know, bruv, this isn't your RDX, okay? This is, like, it's just an electric golf cart, okay? Right. <laughs> once, you drive, once you drive that Acura, it's, it's like you're always it's, driving it. It's next level. You know, you just never know what could happen. That thing, 
takes corners like Michael Schumacher in the rain. Unbelievable. Good reference. Yeah. I'm impressed. <laughs> All right. It's uh final segment of the show. Wanted to get to a couple of questions before we hit what we learned. Uh, keep those texts populating into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, 650-650. So uh, questions about... Tyler Myers, uh, as uh, David Pinota mentioned, you know, the bonus to be paid out in September. Myers has a $5 million signing bonus, which is structured in a way that makes it more difficult to trade Tyler Myers. There's two things about the signing bonuses and the way they were structured into Myers' deal. It makes him more difficult to trade. And it made him virtually unbuyoutable. I don't think that's a word. Unbuyoutable? It, it is now. I, I've made it a word. Kind of like ferocious. Yeah, let, that one I, you can't, no, don't bring that back. Don't bring that back? No. It was ferocious. Now that Akito Hiroshi is on the team, you can't use that because <laughs> it's linked to him. All right? Okay, fine. Uh, no more ferocious. But Meyer's contract essentially unbuyoutable because of the signing bonus. And like if you, if the Canucks were to buy out Tyler Myers this year, which they didn't, obviously, they would have had less cap savings because of the signing bonus than they would if they just buried Myers in the AHL, which they won't do either because he's still good enough to be on their third pair. But essentially the having the bonus structure to be paid out in September works as a bit of a no trade clause for Myers because guess what? An acquiring team is like, man, we got to fork out 5 million bucks in one day to this guy. I I don't know if we want to do that. So that's why Myers bonus structure is structured in the way that it is. Yeah. And to contrast that a little bit right now, you can't trade him even if you wanted to. And we've heard the conversations and all of that. But if you fast forward... Plus he has a bit of a some no-trade protection as well. Exactly. And f- but fast forward, what, four or five months? Yeah. And if you are in a position where your right-hand side is pretty good, and maybe he's a surplus to requirements to a certain extent, uh, maybe a conversation around where this team's at, and if you're in a position to sell, because that bonus is paid out, pretty attractive option for a team that needs depth on the right-hand side. So yep. right now is not the time... I think being patient here and just seeing how the season plays out, you're going to need him on that right-hand side as of right now. And then later on, he might prove valuable from just, is he a player that a couple of teams might look at and say, for the playoff push, trying to get into the playoffs, he could be valuable. Absolutely. A veteran player that reach, there's a lot of opinions about Tyler Myers in this city, and there will be, but he is still an effective player given the right situation and the right amount of ice time. Probably in a third-pair role. Remember, when he left Winnipeg, he was playing on the third pair with Dmitry Kulikov. Yeah. Like, it, it's not... He's been a third-pair guy for a while now. It's just that when you try to get him on that top pair or the second pair, that's too many minutes for Tyler Myers. Yeah. Get him in the right spot, he could still be a decent player. You know, you need him to play uh, between 18 and 20 minutes a night, I think is probably the sweet spot. For Tyler Myers, he has not been like this past season was his low mark with the Canucks. And that was just under 21 minutes a night. 
So you go back, like even his Winnipeg days, you know, he played despite being a third pair guy, he played more than 20 minutes. He's always been a guy trusted on penalty kill, sometimes on second power play as well. Hasn't really been a second power play guy here in Vancouver. But the thing about Myers, he's better than people give him credit for. He's still not worth the contract he was given by the Vancouver Canucks. And that's the uh, uncomfortable situation that the Canucks have been in for a while with Tyler Myers. Now, the reason this text points out something pretty strong at this point, doesn't it make the most sense to keep him and trade him at the deadline? If the Canucks were to hold on to Myers, see how the season played out. You could move him at the deadline for the equivalent of probably a second or third round pick. The question will become, especially if the Canucks are in a playoff race, which they hope and plan to be by the time the trade deadline comes around, are you able to move Myers out and then use whatever you get back in trade for Myers to go and get something else that you might think fits better than the way Tyler Myers fits on your current roster? So that's sort of the the juggling that the Canucks might do during the season with Tyler Myers. Yeah, and this conversation has happened a lot over the last number of years in Vancouver of do you make that deal at the deadline when the team is competitive? And I know it's a tough one to make because you're you don't want to really especially if things are going well. Mm-hmm. GMs don't like to tinker with good things, right? Yes. However, the situation with Tyler Myers this year if the team does do well Let's just say trade deadline rolls around, and at that point, they're in a playoff spot. We're not talking about Tyler Myers, who would be playing a top four role on the Vancouver Canucks. Are you able to make a lateral move at that point in time, get a younger defenseman by maybe moving around some pieces and selling at the same time with Tyler Myers? I think it's doable, right? This is a very different team than the past, where the conversations were around Bo Horvat and JT Miller. Very important players in the top six for the Canucks. Where you're talking about, at this point in time, behind Carson Soucy or Ian Cole, depending on how the Canucks play next to Quinn Hughes, behind Philip Ronick, you're talking about the third right-shot defenseman out of three. I don't think it's a drastic move to consider tinkering at, at the trade deadline and mm-hmm. making a lateral move. So, to me, that's a realistic move. We'll see. You know, I think... NHL GMs generally are very, very conservative around the trade deadline, but that one, I, I would not be opposed to something like that, even if that, if you are in a playoff spot, because guess what, Reach? The team has mentioned, Patrick Alvin has mentioned, that they're obviously about it for this year, but you always have to keep an eye on the long term. That That is something I think should be a priority heading into this year, seeing what options you have out there, especially around the trade deadline. So uh, that's something uh, still to keep an eye on. And, uh, yes, there was a report that the bonus was paid out uh, from earlier this week. That report uh, we have been told, we have learned since uh, – is false. Uh, Myers bonus is yet to be paid out. It is not exactly a black and white situation where the Canucks can say, yes, we'll pay this out. Uh, it's a CBA thing and could be considered cap circumvention if the Canucks were going to do something like that. So would not, uh, would not expect to hear that uh, Tyler Myers bonus is paid out before September 1st. Dan Richo and Randy Janda, you are listening to the morning show Let's get to what happened. And 
What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making, or no, not what happened. What we learned. It's what we learned. Come on, man. Mm. Andy Cole just gave you the the eyes from the... <laughs> He's like so disappointed in me. You know what? This text from Nolan is pretty good. What will Dan perform like with no Spros in the morning? Could be a good case study for Friday morning. Long live Spros. Yes. Uh, well, what would I perform like with no Spros? Uh, nobody wants to see that. No. Nobody, nobody needs to know. What we learned is brought to you by Get Fire Plan. Protect what matters most with comprehensive fire safety plans, monthly audits, and risk mitigation of $200 off. Visit GetFirePlan.com. Oh, my God! We're having a fire plan! <laughs> it's what we learned here on The Morning Show with Dan Riccio and Randeep Janda. Uh, Kyle and East Van is being kind to us this morning. Uh, I learned the new Reach Deep is refreshing change in the morning. All right. That's nice. Halford and Bruff aren't gone, by the way. They are, They're uh, literally down the hall right they now. They are just in the bullpen over there waiting to, to get the call in from the pen. And they'll uh, be joining in at 9 a.m. Pacific time and are across the Sportsnet Radio Network for the next three hours. We got this one uh, unsigned, but I was going to come with the same submission. Kay. What we learned. Vasily Podkolzin is now a dad. Within the last hour, yes, he posted that him and his wife had a baby. So congratulations to Vasily Podkolzin. Uh, that is really cool for Vasily Podkolzin and his wife. Congratulations to them. A dad at 22 years old. That's, that's a lot of responsibility. That is a lot of responsibility. I, at 37, am still figuring my life out. This guy has a kid at 22. Good for Vasily uh, and uh, family. Congratulations to them. So what we learned, what we learned, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can still hit home runs. He hit very many of them last night. And I'm kind of wondering, where the heck has this been for the first half of the season with Vladdy? He's got 13 on the year so far. Shohei Otani leads the league with 32. Vlad has 13. Okay. It's not a good number. He hasn't been good to start the season. All we can hope is that what's happened the last couple of weeks and this moment during the home run derby shows Vlad it's not terrible to pull the ball every once in a while. And two... Get that launch angle going because it is very imperative to hitting home runs rather than scorching ground balls to shortstop and third base over and over and over again. I hope the optimism plays off and there's a lot of good vibes coming off of this, but John Schneider was pitching to him. And unless Jamie Moyer is coming out of retirement, no old guy is going to pitch like that to well, Vladdy. It's not like Vladdy can't I'm just hit. saying. His exit velo is still the best in the league. But it's it's a lot easier when your manager is the guy that's just hey, great pitches to to hit. Like, come on. 13 home runs is 13 home runs. Uh, what we learned, what's going on with the morning schedule? Was there a shakeup? Corey. Uh, no, Corey, there's no shakeup. Just for this week. Alfred and Bruff in the morning on 9 to noon. Dan Rachel, Randy Janda in for the morning show from 6 to 9. Corey, you would have learned that if you tuned in yesterday. Yeah, or like five minutes before. Or that. Uh, what we learned, I learned that nothing grinds my gears more than when people go to sporting events wearing jerseys of the teams that aren't even playing in said event. That's Adam, the former bath guy. 
Um, I agree with Adam, but what's he referring to? Like, what game was he watching yesterday? Like, the Home Run Derby, it's an all-star event. Like, you can wear any jersey you want there. Okay, that I get. But how about if it's out of sport? Like, you go to a soccer match, and then there's a guy that walks in wearing, like, an NFL jersey. Because <laughs> I've been that guy. Yeah. But if you, like, wore a Deion Sanders Atlanta Braves jersey to a Dallas Cowboys game in which Deion Sanders was playing. Oh, that's cool. That's cool? That's cool. All right. I so think within, prime time. within sport is fine, unless you're in European soccer. Like, don't wear rival jerseys at, at games. You'll get your ass kicked. Like, that's a personal safety thing. Yeah. Other than that, within sport is fine. I think outside of sport, no. Like, you walk, <laughs> wearing a soccer jersey to, like, a, a hockey game makes no sense. When was the last time you wore a jersey? Um, oh, I got an Arsenal jersey. You wear your Arsenal I, jersey? I occasionally wear my Arsenal jersey, yeah. I, uh, I bought a jersey last summer. Uh, Federico Chiesa jersey. Freddie Church. At the uh, Juventus match that I attended. It was the first jersey I had bought in maybe a decade. And it felt weird buying a jersey with a name and a player that's so much younger than I am. And now he's going to probably get sold this summer as well. Don't so. stop I'm, it. Hey, I'm just saying. You're, you're bad luck. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, this one from Soapy. What we learned, it's a shame Adley Rushman didn't get further in the home run derby to do what he did from both sides was impressive. I mean, yeah, it was pretty impressive. Six of six from the right side after smashing, or from the left side after smashing a bunch from the right side. Switch hitting in baseball, I don't know. I could never do it. So I would never really truly understand it. I know Elon's done it, and ha- you're a switch hitter. Yeah, I mean, the guy's the best switch hitter in the league. It's yes. You kind of expect him to hit home runs on both sides, right? Yeah. So I'm a lefty, yeah. but I can switch hit as well, but not well. I just don't like – I just don't get the whole concept of switch hit. Like, do you stand on the other side of the plate and it still feels it's normal? It's just both you? sides feel good. It's so weird. Like, if I were to pick up a left-handed golf club, I'd be like, what the hell is this? I can't. No, I can't do It's only works in baseball. <laughs> Hockey and golf, it doesn't translate. It's so strange. But generally, there's a bit of a drop-off, though, right? Like, when I was growing up, well, lefty, some I Some guys would... have better... Like, most guys, yeah, they de- they usually have better numbers from one side of the plate or the other. But, like, lefty, go for the power back when I was younger. Yeah. Righty, I was, like, the poorest man's Ichiro Suzuki, slapping it all over the place. And, like, you know, no power whatsoever. So, there's usually there's a significant drop-off. <laughs> we got this one. Yeah. I think it's uh, at your expense. Justin East Van. What we learned. Dan doesn't know what segment this is. Looks like he might need another spro. Yes. I actually slept more yesterday, and I feel more tired today than I did yesterday, if that makes any sense. I think that's called aging. You're just washed. <laughs> it's probably... Uh, probably true so, somebody what we learned Juventus do I say Juventus funny you say everything funny I think that's what the morning audience is starting to <laughs> starting to find out you gave me a funny look when I said Milan one time and you're like what no I'm going to Italy Milan. next month I, I got you're not gonna say Milan no I, no that's the right way of saying it yes I'm not saying I'm going to M- Milan it's Milan yeah, yeah. I see a lot of your. What we learned, it's not Milan, it's Milan. Exactly. Yes. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. Get it right. That's all I'm saying. Uh, we got more what we learned. Uh, this one comes in unsigned. I believe uh, it's unsigned Gary. Is that is that is that how it's supposed to be read? Um, we're all a kid with a stick poking the Canucks saying, come on, do something. Pretty much. For sure. Yeah. Even now? Really? Mm-hmm. How's that worked out in the past when they make moves just for the sake of making moves? Be uh, careful what you wish for. Not great. Uh, what we learned is Canada's women's soccer team being disrespected once again by being ranked seventh in the world and the 10th favorite to win the World Cup, all while getting a very favorable-looking group draw. So Canada is in Group B with Australia, Nigeria, and they are... Look, I don't think the Canadian women should be considered a favorite. They weren't considered a favorite when they won the gold medal at the Olympics. They are in a secondary tier of quality teams on the women's stage. There just simply hasn't been enough development in this country to carry this team on from the Christine Sinclair era. We still have produced and will produce some very good players, but until we have a professional women's league in our country, we're going to continue falling behind. You know, the NASL is where a lot of our women play. They play in some European leagues as well, but we don't have our own to have that crop of 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds having proper coaching in order to prepare them for the next levels. And now that England Italy, Spain, Germany, France, they've all taken a bigger priority in developing their women's programs. Canada's only going to keep falling further and further behind while those countries pour more dollars into the development of their programs on the club level because they're not relying on the country, on the organizations in order to pour money, develop these players. It's happening like it has with their men for so many years where club teams are just developing them on their own yeah domestically you're seeing that success also the champions league in in europe brings in big numbers it's huge big money as well you start looking at some of those semi-final legs they're selling out some like huge i mean that, that barca team is unbelievable the barcelona team but even you know arsenal's team they sold out the stadium against wolfsburg yeah they're like the numbers the cash that's flowing in with those leagues is big money now time for canada to catch up so uh yes Canada's women's <laughs> what we learned from Rager. Canada's women's soccer team is being disrespected once again by Dan Richo. They can defend. I just, you know, I'm not banking on them to win the World Cup here. All right. I, I got one. I, I'm going to cheer for them too, but I just. There's some key injuries as well, right? Yeah. It's just, it's just not going to happen. A few things they got to deal with. What we learned Daniel Ricardo is back in F1. As of this hour, Nick DeVries got bumped from AlphaTory, which is Red Bull's secondary team. Daniel Ricardo, who was a reserve driver with Red Bull, has replaced him, meaning the most entertaining man in F1 will be back driving. And uh, this is good news for casual fans. This is good news for hardcore fans because Daniel Ricardo makes F1 entertaining either on the track or just doing interviews. One of the, the most entertaining people in sports, I'd say. Any relation to Greg DeVries? No. <laughs> no. No. 
Oh, I mean, we've been playing so much Wait, Puck Are you Doku. still in Puck Doku mood here? No. <laughs> yes, pretty much. I'm pretty sure Greg DeVries is based in North America. Nick DeVries is Dutch. <laughs> uh, all right, coming up, it's uh, Halford and Bruff. They're taking over uh, on a national scale from 9 to noon here on Sportsnet 650. Canucks head coach Rick Tockett will be joining them. They'll also have Dallas Akins on the show and uh, – John Herdman. So it is a coach-filled edition of Halford and Bruff in the morning from 9 to noon. Tune in for that. Dan Rachel, Randy Janda, Elon Chark, Lena Sategan signing off for the morning show on Sportsnet 650.